All right, well, this morning we're going to wrap up our series on Ephesians, on the book of Ephesians. What a beautiful journey we've taken over the last number of weeks as we have worked our way through the book of Ephesians. If you haven't read your Bible much this year, congratulations, you just read Ephesians. Well done, you're a winner. Let's just summarize a little bit about what we've covered so far, and then we're going to uh, work our way through chapter 6 of Ephesians. So if you've got your Bibles or your iPhones or your Androids or your tablets or your scrolls or whatever you're using these days for Bible, um, why don't you bust those out to chapter 6 and we're going to work our way through that. Um, so Paul has spent uh, the first half of the book of Ephesians uh, speaking about our call to embody the gospel and to be this new humanity. In that first three chapters, he talks about the way that we're, we've got this world full of humans made in the image of God, but because of sin and selfishness, we have distorted what we have actually been called to become. Uh, and so we were dead in our own sin. Such a beautiful imagery there, like dead in your sin. It's like you were a walking zombie. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> And some of you know exactly what that felt like, you know, like if you're the walking dead. It's like we've got, you know, we're kind of alive, but with all the rubbish that we've accumulated along the way, it's like, oh, we're just dead in our sin. Uh, but in our zombie sin-focused state, God has done something that is sheer mercy, sheer love. He has come among us to be the human being that we were called to be. And he lived for us, died for us, absorbing sin, conquering death. And it released like a shockwave into the world. And, and Paul says in these first chapters that when people recognize this, turn in faith to Jesus and join the community of his followers, the, hum, the, the new humanity, they can discover the abundant life that is found in Jesus Christ. And the main ethic of this new humanity is that of love. And we've been looking at that in the last couple of weeks. To seek the well-being of others before uh, myself. And, and uh, Paul appeals to Jesus as being the ultimate example of that love. And he talks about this community of mutual submission. And we've been exploring that and Chris did a beautiful job last week. Uh, unpacking that. Not a word that we um, are particularly fond of, but it captures who Jesus is. And, and the call for us to be people who are like, no, I want to prefer you. No, you. No, it's you. No, I want to bless you. No, I'm going to stop talking and listen to you and ask questions about you. It's a mutual, this lovely sense of submission about wanting to raise other people up. That's the community. And so then he unpacks kind of what that looks like in different contexts, quite specifically. He's talking about marriage. He's talking about um, uh, about uh, a husband and wife and how they relate to each other, uh, all sorts of different things. And so we're going to continue that, and then uh, Paul's going to wrap up. He's going to give a, give a final rousing hurrah at the end of this message. So let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, it'll come up on the screens, uh, Shane. Uh, it'll come up. <laughs> that was a real obvious hint. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Shane is on planet Zorborg. We've got to get him back. All right. <laughs> So let's, here we go. Let's work our way through. So, so far we've looked at um, the relationship between um, husband and wife and families. And then he talks to the children. He says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your mother, your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And so Paul here talks about one of the themes in Scripture. And again, what does it look like for us to have a beautiful culture within homes and within marriages. Now, I know this is not 
everyone's experience. And, and I know that sometimes families can be horrific and tricky. And at times it's like, it's, just, it's not wise to re-engage with some of that brokenness. But for the most part, for most of us, uh, there's this invitation to try and have this beautiful dynamic in our relationships. And uh, for children to, um, to obey and honor their parents. And interestingly, at times Jesus says, you've got to be, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to leave your mother and father. So at times Jesus is like, you've got to leave, because sometimes there can be this weird thing of us still trying to please our parents, even as we get older. I know people who are still trying to please their parents who died 15 years ago. They're living in such, like, they need to leave their parents' expectations to be a disciple of Jesus. Sometimes there can be weird, funky, codependent behavior where we're, you know, where it gets all weird. And so Jesus at times is like, you've got to leave, but he, but he doesn't say you should dishonor them ever. He's always like, you should honor them. And so uh, this verse uh, is interesting because firstly, Paul's writing this to the church in Ephesus. So he's assuming that children are there learning about what it means to follow Jesus. How cool is that? And that's what we do. Now, our context 2,000 years later is a little bit different. Um, they would have been meeting in homes, and what we experienced in communion today would have been the norm. Food, mess, children everywhere. And then it's like, all right, guys, we're going to crack open the scroll and have a read of what Paul's saying. And children, oi, children, oi, it's up here, children, obey your parents. Well, your parents is how you live long in the land. It's one of the commandments that has a blessing. And that continues in the trajectory to this point where uh, I want to challenge you today. Honor your parents. And how can you do that? Well, one of the main ways you can honor your parents is to give them some time. Just a simple thing. Phone call, making sure we hang out with them from time to time. And there's a blessing, the Lord says, that, that, that rests on your life when you choose to do, to live in that way, to make an effort. And, uh, and the blessing isn't some intangible thing. The reality is your life's just richer for their wisdom, for their input, for their relationships. I know there's like a generational thing that's different in terms of how they grew up and how we grew up and blah, blah, blah. But there's a blessing that's there that's so cool. Um, so it continues. Oh, no. Uh, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training instruction of the Lord. Uh, I... Yeah, I mean, Paul's writing to a very patriarchal world here, and in a second we're going to explore the cultural divide because we're about to encounter it big time as Paul talks about slavery. Uh, can Just rest assured that God's heart is, hey, parents, hey, mum and dad. Paul's writing to fathers here. There's a cultural thing going on. You've got to address the patriarch. But hey, mums and dads, you're, mums, you're not off the hook, sorry. Uh, do not exasperate your children. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's been really depressing reading the commentaries on this as a dad of three, three absolute nutter, insane boys who inherited the fullness of me and Jen's personality in some giant perfect storm and the three-headed monster of our glorious boys stretches me every day to my limit and exposes how little fruit of the Spirit I really do have and all the rest of it. So... One of our cultural statements here in Bay Vineyard is that we are all hypocrites in transition. I need to sort of say that up front in about anything to do with parenting. Um, and I, you know, I was a bit, conv- I was a bit convicted as I, re- <laughs> as I went through this because I was reading the commentaries and they're like, you know, just be consistent, don't be inconsistent, don't be a bit of a jerk. Is a, you know, effectively is my summary of the whole thing. And so I was just like, man, especially when I'm tired. Oh man, I get grumpy. Oh, boy. <laughs> and the number of times, and this is mutual submission, right? The number of times at the end of the day, or sometimes the next morning, <laughs> I've had to say, Judah, I'm so sorry, mate. 
That was rough last night, wasn't it, mate? Like, Dad was grumpy, and I, 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 I'm sorry. I feel bad about how much I yelled at you, or whatever it may be. Oh, there's all the dirty laundries coming out today. But then he goes on to say, instead, parents, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So Paul's saying there's got to be like intentionality in how you raise your children. Like honestly, in this day and age, the fingers crossed, I hope they turn out okay approach is not going to work. There are such strong systems and powers and culture that is going to shape your child's worldview that you have to be very intentional about how you raise your children in the instruction of the Lord. And we do that not because we want to go Amish or homeschool, well, nothing wrong with homeschool, but you know what I mean, like, kind of like hardcore conservative, like, you know, I don't want my children to go into the world because, you know, of course not. We train them to be in the world but not of the world and all of that. Not, I've got no problem with homeschooling. But it's like, for the record, at all. In fact, some of the stuff I've seen my kids go through, it's been, oh, okay, maybe that's an option. But, but, but yeah, for Jen, not for me, I'll be in the office. <laughs> Good luck, babe. But parents, what do you have in place? What do you have in place to help your children grow up in the way of the Lord? We pray with our children every night as we go to bed. Basic thing. You're there anyway. Let's pray. Let's reflect on the day. We're trying to have devotionals and stuff. There's an amazing resource called the Primal Pathway that I want to plug for any parent of someone entering their teenage years. It is the most stunning um, curriculum or a program that will help you be intentional with raising your teenage boys. It's Take notes, primal pathway, if that's you're in that phase. Most of our kids in our church are not in that phase, but keep that at the back of your mind. I've already bought the resources to get my head up to speed with how I can raise my boys well, particularly in those teenage years, so that they, they can leave home with everything that I can possibly do, that they can just grow into godly men that thrive in life. So the Primal Pathway is, is a resource there that I would definitely plug. So then we had this very tricky scripture, because we've talked about wives and husbands and children and fathers and parents and all that sort of thing. Then it's like the cultural gap between us and the Bible hits us big time. Listen to this. Try and get your heads around this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one, of, uh, each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven uh, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. So this is an interesting passage. And I hope you're reading the Bible not like you live in a cult or you worship in a cult where it's like, cool, that's in there, sweet. It's like, critique it, that's weird. There's nothing there that says slavery is wrong and slavery is horrific. Like that should upset us. It's in the book. And that passage has been used to keep people in slavery. There is just horrific documentation, particularly in the slave trade to America, of pastors using this passage to say, it's in the book. It's, it's there. So let's work out how we deal with this. Because it's, it's a fascinating passage, but it, it, there's two issues here. We need to understand some cultural context 
Because what's happening here is very subversive and fascinating and actually will lead to the abolition of the slave trade if you track its trajectory. But uh, there's a cultural context thing here, but there is also, uh, it hits this thing of we need to read the Bible well and we need to make sure we have the Bible in its proper place. Now, I love this book. I love this book. I read it every single day. I read the Old and New Testament every single day. I adore this book. I, I pray that the culture in Bay Vineyard is that reading the Bible every day is normal. We've got to, that's one of the biggest things the enemy's done. He's fought to, to stop us reading this book. And this is a powerful book. But we've got to read it well. And we do not, it is not the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so let me unpack uh, why this is important. A wonderful uh, author called Brian Zahn wrote this. The Christian faith is like a living tree rooted in the soil of Scripture. You cannot remove the tree from the soil in which it is rooted and expect it to survive. But neither are we to think that the tree and the soil are the same thing. They are not. Put most simply, the Bible and Christianity are not synonymous. Yes, they are connected, but they remain distinct. Scripture is the soil. The Christian faith is the living tree. They are connected, but they are not the same thing. So if the Bible assumes that slavery is both a tolerable and an inevitable institution, even explicitly saying that slaves are the property of slave owners, that doesn't mean this is the Christian ethical position on slavery. Christianity is not a slave to the Bible. Christianity is a slave to Christ. Out of the soil of Scripture grows a mature Christian faith that is not only able but required to oppose all forms of slavery in the name of Jesus. The soil of our faith, doesn't mean you're now riffing, the soil of our faith says if you track the trajectory of Scripture from Genesis 1, where every human being is made in the image of God, through all that there is a natural progression that leads to the, and rightly so, to the abolition of, of slavery. There is a branch within the tree of the Christian faith that says slavery is inherently evil and should be abolished. Of course there is, because our tree of faith is planted in the soil of Scripture. But you cannot use the Bible to trump Jesus. So people do this sometimes. It's not a flat book. People use the Old Testament to justify things that Jesus expressly prohibited, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. So we've got to, just, we've got to elevate Jesus in this. All right. Even Jesus himself said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is, they it is that they testify on my behalf, and yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Jesus himself said this about this book. So sometimes, like guys, this book, I, the reason I love it and read it every day is because it leads me to Jesus. Jesus is the climax of this story. And when I read the Old Testament, I don't read it in isolation. I read it knowing what Jesus is going to do and say. I, don't, I need Jesus as my guide as I navigate, particularly through tricky passages in the Old Testament. And so I love the Bible. And this is what Brian Zahn continues to say. What the Bible does best and what the Bible does perfectly and what the Bible does infallibly, and that's without error, is it points us to Jesus. This is what the Bible does, the Savior of all. After all, it's Jesus that saves the Bible from being an arcane religious text that can be misused to justify all manner of egregious evils from slavery to crusades to colonialism. Jesus saves the Bible from being another violent religious text, bluntly. 
I know that's full on. So we've got, to, we've got to get sharper about how we engage with this. I want us to read it more, but be sharp about how we engage with this. So then when we hit texts like this, we're not spun out. Now, let's have a look at some contextual things happening here that are very interesting. Firstly, uh, and all of this is credit to Tim Mackey, an outstanding teacher, uh, who um, just stunning teacher who uh, does the Bible Project videos and all of this, PhD New Testament scholar. So he suggested around 30 to 50% of the population of Rome would have been slaves. So get your head around that, 30 to 50%. So it's very, very different to the slavery that we probably imagine. Uh, and it wasn't an ethnic thing at all. Romans could be slaves to other Romans because um, uh, prisoners of war. Um, there was people that are called bond slaves, effectively people that had gone bankrupt. So they didn't have the systems we have now. To, so to get out of debt, you would become a bond slave until you could pay off your debts and buy back your freedom. But you would still have no rights. No, you'll be the property of another person, no legal rights. And so I don't believe that Paul was like, oh, slavery is awesome. Look at what he says here. It's very interesting. And you've got to remember, so these guys can't just go and march. Slavery is wrong. Abolish slavery. They're a small persecuted minority with a bunch of leaders who love crucifying people. <laughs> Anyone keen? It's just like abolish slavery. Nick Minute dead. Really painfully. It's like, no. Okay. So how do they really brilliantly begin subverting the institution of slavery? Well, he says this. When you're a Christian slave, he says this four times. Obey, firstly, Christ. Obey your, your king. We're all slaves to Christ. He's the ultimate boss. And Jesus treats his slaves by giving up his life and gives them everything. Paul's just spent the, most of Ephesians telling us how lucky we are to be in God's family. Slaves, you're part of that. The king of the universe is ultimately your master. And he, he's self-sacrificial in his love for you. He thinks you're amazing. And so he, he, your identity is so shaped in Jesus' love that you have freedom in Christ to give yourself fully to serving those who are your masters. So, you, so it's, it's almost a paradox. Because of Jesus, you're free. So now in your slavery, you can be free to be that slave that's just a lovely slave who's not trying to annoy the master and trying to like make life difficult, but he's, going the, he's doing Sermon on the Mount stuff, going the extra mile, being super kind and doing his best, even when the master's not looking. But then he says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. That is a huge statement in that particular culture. Do the same thing. Treat your slaves as people made in the image of God. Don't threaten them, he says. Don't resort to violence. He who is both their master and yours in heaven uh, is yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. <laughs> so the person that's the real master, Mr. Master Slave Trader, is not you. You are not the master. He's the master. And, and he, there's no favoritism with him. So you're the same as him, mate. And can you see what's beginning to happen there? Just how that begins to subvert the dynamic of power within a slave-master relationship. And so the soil of this passage results in the tree of faith growing a branch that says the slavery is a great injustice, horrific institution that should be abolished. And to this day, with more slaves now in the world than there's ever been, it is time we continue that mandate to say we are subverting this horrific institution. All right. Finally, some of you are like, yes, amen, Paul. Finally, we've been plowing through Ephesians for six weeks now. Finally, 
I mean, he's saying this, finally, guys, but here's the end. Here comes the bit that we're going to finish on. What does he say? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord. And put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Now, Paul is saying something we've got to hear today, friends, and that is, War is normal as a Christian. Like we're in a battle. And it's time that we recognize that we are in a battle. And it, like, because sometimes I think we're shocked that life is tough. It's because we're entitled Westerners mainly. And it's like, no, that's not fair. I got a bit treated like this. It's like, we're in a war. There's an evil, and like Paul's talking about the culture and about the systems, and there's just evil, and there's a fight that's going on. And what specifically, today you're going to see 5,000 advertisements that are a lie. They're going to tell you if you have this, then you'll be happy. Then, oh, then it'll be like, ah. Oh. And now we all know it's not true because we've drunk from that Kool-Aid many times and the iPhone is great fun for the first day or two. And then it's boring and it hasn't satisfied us and our life doesn't look like the advertisement. It's a lie. Life is not enriched by things. But that's a like, cultural system that you are swimming in and we are unaware of how much it just frames our thinking. There is so much systemic evil in the world. I mean, this is a broken place. The police have said that in the last two years, in the Hawke's Bay, gang membership has increased by 58%. Like, that is a power and a principality that's destroying lives. And, and I don't have any, like, I don't have anything but empathy for the people going into that world. It's they're desperate. They're desperate because they're hurting and they're broken and they want family and they want identity and they want meaning. But it never satisfies. People are overdosing and taking their lives in those very gangs because it's so broken. Now, you guys know that it's a battle. You guys know even in your individual lives, you're going to go home and it's going to be a battle. And that there's stuff that you're going to struggle with. And you're going to be tempted. And it's a battle. So let's normalize the fact we're at war. And what's Paul saying here? Well, finally, after all I've said, stay strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, you are not on your own in that battle. You are not in your own. And if you felt like you've been on your own, and some of you are new to church or kicking the tires on the Christian faith, I can tell you now, you do not have to battle alone anymore. The Lord who created the heavens and earth wants to be with you in this fight. And what do you have to do? You don't have to strive for it. You just have to stand. Put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around uh, your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith which, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So what are the weapons he's given us? This has been a passage that if you have been in church for a while, you've heard before, but let's unpack this for a bit. Timothy Gombus, in a great book called The Drama of Ephesians says this, 
Paul reveals how the church is to carry, carry out the divine warfare. Though it is far from what many of us anticipate in our spectacular culture, cosmic conflict does not involve defiant chest-thumping the face of the defeated powers. On the contrary, we are called to a purposeful, humble, cruciform faithfulness as we perform Jesus for the good of the world. So we're asked to put on these particular things. Now, can I just say, this prayer isn't some little magic prayer that you just pray. So I've heard this preached a bit like this sometimes, where it's like, all right, you know, if you want to survive, you know, get up every morning and you put the stuff on. All right, Lord, I put on the little belt and I put on the breastplate. And, the, and I don't know. And I don't want to minimize it, but we're going to, like, prayer isn't magic. Um, but so what's Paul talking about here is not actually a prayer. He's talking about a lifestyle. He's talking about what we believe and what we think, and it, it connects intimately with the first three chapters of Ephesians. So what's he say that we, that we are to, uh, to, to put the belt of truth buckled around our waist? What is that truth? He is the truth. It's Jesus. So I'm like, all right, and it's metaphor. Like Paul's using metaphor here, but it's like saying, I'm going to put around myself, this, the thing that holds it all together is that he's true, that he's, Jesus is the one who's the truth. Like, he is truth. All the stuff in culture says, oh, it's truth or truth is relative. Jesus is the way, and he's the truth, and he's the life. It's Jesus. And then he says righteousness. The word is not, so put on, uh, what does he say, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this is not, um, our initial reading is like, okay, be a good person. And I'm like, yes, you should. It makes life a lot less tricky when you're a good person because sometimes we're not in war. We've just been stupid and made life a pickle. <laughs> like that's not war. That's just you've been a bit silly. And silly it results in complication and you've got to work through that, okay? And the beautiful thing is with you through that. He's lovely like that. But the war we're talking about here is different. So it's not like righteousness, like be a good person. It's his righteousness. So put on what? His righteousness. You've got to keep reminding yourself you'll never be good enough. You'll always make mistakes. But he's, it's his righteousness we clothe ourselves with. So I've got to remind myself it's a lifestyle that continues to say, it doesn't matter what the enemy accuses me of, I've been made righteous because of his sacrifice on that cross. Hallelujah. We've got to keep reminding ourselves of that. And yes, I want to be transformed from glory to glory. Yes, I want to live up to what I've already attained. Yes, I want to be sanctified by his spirit to become more holy. And hallelujah, who's doing that? We're a hypocrite in transition, but we're tracking in the right direction here. So I'm not excusing all the mess or anything like that, but I'm not resting on my righteousness, I'm resting on his. And so I remind myself of that. And then he says, put on the, uh, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace, which he's talked about in Ephesians uh, 2 or 3, whatever it was, is this peace between the Gentiles and the Jewish people about the fact that the gospel brings people together from very diverse backgrounds. And so we put on our feet whether we're ready for the gospel of peace that says, I'm ready to, to be living in community with people that are different from me. I'm ready to work through the argy-bargy and nitty-gritty of real community because we are a new humanity. With all of our diversity, we are united under Jesus Christ. And so my feet are ready with the gospel of peace. I can talk to anyone that I meet in the bay and say, Jesus loves you. You can be part of this family. Then he says, uh, uh, what does he say next? Then he says, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith which, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So again, that's faith in what? What's on, what's on who? It's in Jesus. So the shield of faith says, I have my faith in Jesus. The enemy's going to throw things, and he's going to throw arrows at you. He's done this to me. He's done it to you. That says, oh, really? 
this whole church thing a bit of a fabrication or is it just a construct or is Jesus really like that? That's the, that's the arrows. The shield of faith says, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the one I put my faith in. He is the one I put my faith in. Sometimes I've got to walk by faith, not by sight. Sometimes my emotions and my senses are not going to be with me and I'm walking that walk still. I have the shield of faith that says I have my, I'm all in with Jesus. That's faith. I'm all in with Jesus. And here's, I believe this stuff. Obviously, I'm a pastor. <laughs> my job is to go, yes, he is the truth. My job is to encourage us to be a church that embodies, that's like the body of Christ in the bay, that's saying it's really beautiful. I've come to the conclusion, even if I'm wrong, I'm living the richest life possible. Can't lose. Even if I'm wrong, these priorities of relationship and, and, and I don't think I'm wrong because every time I sit down with Jesus, I sense something. But even on my toughest days, when I'm, like, oh, I'm like, you know what? This is the most beautiful life you could live because all the things that Jesus calls me to as a priority are actually the way that I feel hardwired to really live. When I choose to not do that, I feel like I'm going against the grain of life and love and it feels weird. And the more I embody and live the way of Jesus... Life becomes richer and more beautiful and more at peace. And so, uh, but I have faith. I walk by faith, not by sight. The helmet of salvation. I love this, protect my mind. How? By just, again, it's, it's a lifestyle and it's walking in the truth that I'm his. I'm saved. I reckon most of us have gone, am I really? I hope I squeak in. My big thing is I suspect I'll be closing the pearly gates behind me. You know, I'll be the, just scrape in there, little singed bottom, whoop, uh, and just get in there. And, and you know, Jen's going to have a mansion way over there. And I'm like, mate, the little do- dog kennel by the door's fine by me. Just want to, you know. And it's like, no, don't be silly. We're in the family. Yeah. We're in the family, says Paul. You're saved. Hallelujah. And if you're not, you can be today, mate, easy. You just have to believe it's true and declare him, your Lord. We'll baptize you in two weeks' time. Have a chat to me afterwards. And then he says, and then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the Bible wasn't written yet. Crazy, eh? We immediately go, oh, yeah, here we go. Ching, 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 ching. This didn't exist at this point when he's writing the letter. The canon of, there was the Torah, and there was the writings of the prophets and stuff. And so uh, what Paul means is the gospel. That's the Word of God. The gospel. If you haven't become a Christian, here's, here's the gospel. God has come. And Jesus, we're going into Advent uh, next week, four weeks to celebrate. He's come. God, the creator of the universe, came into this very creation. And you are loved. You can receive his forgiveness because of what he did on the cross. You can be free from the horrific vibe of sin. It's a great feeling. And you can be part of his family. You. All you need to do is declare that Jesus is Lord and then watch what he does. So Paul's saying, walk in that truth. Walk in the gospel reality. That's the sword of the Spirit. It's the gospel. Find, uh, next slide. Oh, sorry, Shane, I've, my clicker's not working. In verse 18. Next slide, if you can. There we go. Next one, that's it. Sorry, yep. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and, prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. 
Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. A couple of things there as we come into land. Firstly, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Hang out with Jesus. Get in the habit of practicing the presence of God. As you go through your day, get used to just touching base with him. As we journey as a church, we're going to be cheering on the idea that at least once a day, maybe a number of times throughout the day, you go to a little lonely place, five minutes, ten minutes, and just sit with him. And pray in the Spirit, that's like praying in tongues, which we've talked about before, we'll talk about again in the future. We wheel out our token tongues preacher, he comes up, shares his token, he's become the tongues guy. And uh, Great gift, great gift, you can use it whenever you want, use it in the shower, use it in the car, uh, with Bluetooth uh, devices these days in the car, you don't look weird anymore yabbering away, it's just normal and so sweet as. And then Paul finishes by saying, uh, pray for me that I may, will make fearlessly known the mystery of the gospel, which is that God's come for everyone. Pray for me, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul suffered. Paul suffered for what he was carrying. But his cry was that the gospel would advance. I mentioned this yesterday in one of my talks, but I want to say it again to everyone in church today. Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. Join me in suffering. (laughs) Such an inspirational moment, hey? It's like, oh, sign me up. Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. David Pierce, a friend of mine in um, the book Rock Priest, uh, says this. The Apostle Paul says we need to be soldiers because the world is hostile to God. What we need to ask ourselves today is, am I a civilian or a soldier? This is how a civilian thinks. God, I want to do this for you. I have these gifts, these talents, and I'm this old, and I want to do this for you, God. I love to play music. I want to play music for you. But a soldier says, tell me what to do with my life. I don't care what it is. Whatever you want me to do, I will do it. David Pierce says there's a tremendous difference. And, you know, Paul's in prison But he's in prison because the news he's carrying burns in his bones. And he's like, I've got to tell the world, no matter what it costs, that there is a God that has come in Jesus that loves every single person. And he's like, I'm prepared to pay that price. And uh, as you watch the video, I I hope uh, if you weren't here yesterday about what God's calling us to, the reality is that if we want to take ground from the enemy and take ground for Jesus in the bay to see the kingdom of God advance in this place, it's going to require a bunch of soldiers, not a bunch of civilians. I'm, I'm tired of civilians. I really am. I'm tired of people coming, if I'm really honest, coming into this building, enjoying the service that we offer and leaving. We are not an enterprise offering a service. We are a family of God who works together for the glorification of God and the advancement of his kingdom. And we don't need civilians because civilians are consumers, but soldiers contribute. They say, give me a towel, give me a badge, get me in kids' church, give me something to do that will see this community flourish because we are the body of Christ. We need soldiers. We need soldiers. And so my prayer is that we would be soldiers, that we would join Paul in suffering for the gospel. And, you know, 
ironically, there's some life in there as well. Because we actually don't want to be civilians. Deep down, I'm, I'm, I sound, we're in a little bit of a Braveheart rally kind of moment right now. You will never take my freedom. On the horses, off we go. But you know, there's a little bit of me right now going, come on, guys, I'm not going to take our freedom. Let's get on the horses and soldier on and charge out there. And, take. And, and there's something deep within every one of us that wants to be part of something that's more than just the consumption, including the consumption of church. We, we contribute, we, we, we suffer at times, we say no to things, we sacrifice because the, we want to live a life worthy of the calling, which is what Paul says. And so then let's finish with, with the last uh, sort of sign-off from Paul. At the final greetings, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Just pause there. Fascinating. Paul is constantly kind of setting it up to send this person over here to, to encourage that church. I'm going, to send, I'm going to send Timothy over here to help you. And, you know, I think you need some encouragement. We'll send Barnabas over there. And then I'm going to go visit you. And we're going to, he's constantly working out how can we encourage one another. And uh, it's a lovely thought. You know, there's this network amongst the Roman roads and all the scholarly work on the way that there was really an information network they tapped into just to send letters and people to encourage the church. And so we bring in people that are friends of mine often to encourage us. Sometimes I go to other churches to encourage people, and I would like you to do the same on a micro level, where we're just like, who, who could we just connect with that person to encourage them? That's the way we're thinking. Oh, man, you know what? I'd love you to hang out with X, Y, Z, because I think you'd find it really helpful or whatever, okay? And then he finishes with this, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And then he finishes the book of Ephesians. But he finishes with a theme of Paul's in just about every one of his epistles, of peace, of love, with faith from God, and with grace. In fact, often Paul would just say, grace and peace. Grace and peace. And just stop and think about that. What a lovely way to finish. And I want to finish our little journey through Ephesians with the same thing for us. Grace, peace. We've talked about it a lot. And we know there's a big challenge out there. And we know we're going back into the battlefield as we walk out of the doors of this building. In fact, it may have been a battle to even get here this morning. Well done for making it if that was you. But grace and peace and love. And love with faith from God. I just pray that over you now. Lord, I just pray your peace would just fill us. As you breathed upon your disciples after you had risen from the dead, the first thing you did was just receive my spirit, my peace. Peace be with you. Whatever you're battling with, whatever you're carrying, whatever stress is on your plate, peace. Sovereign, supernatural peace in Jesus' name. For those of you who struggle with your mental health, peace in your mind, in Jesus' name. For those of you who have got real stress because of relationship brokenness or peace in Jesus' name. And grace, and grace. Some of you, it's just grace even for today. It's such a fight. You've woken up this morning. How can I get through it? I pray grace for today. And I pray that you'd wake up tomorrow morning and be grace and peace for tomorrow. But may you know the grace of God. May it rest on you. May you know that you don't have to strive. You don't have to please him. You don't have to dig deep to be a good. You, you just receive it because it's a gift. It's grace. Everything's grace. 
And I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open to see his grace. I pray that as you sit in your backyard and look at that tree, you'll be like, it's grace. It's all a gift. That you would see the beautiful water and go, what a gift. It's grace. The very breath we take, it's grace. It's all, it's all a gift. And so may you just have a deep gratitude, but I pray an increasing awareness of the beautiful grace of God resting on every one of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have finished Ephesians. Isn't that great? Well done, everyone. What a lovely journey. We're going to make it a tradition every year that we intentionally will have seasons where we just have themes. We follow the church calendar. Uh, and then there'll be seasons we just work through a book and allow that to shape us in our journey. So I hope that's been helpful. And uh, God bless you all. If there's prayer for anything you're going through, we'd love to pray for you. Just come and sit in the front row. If you'd like to make Jesus Lord of your life, no matter what you're going through, you can do that. Just come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Um, other than that, God bless you heaps. And we start a new series uh, next week on Advent. We're going to be working our way through Advent, celebrating the arrival of the King and Jesus, the humble King. God bless you all. We'll see you next week.